The Youthscape Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Youthscape Podcast with uh, me, Rachel Gardner. <laughs> and me, Martin Saunders. What happened then? I don't know. We flipped. So how are you all doing, dear friends? And how are you, Martin? I'm well. I'm exhausted after the National Youth Ministry weekend. Absolutely exhausted. Did it, did it happen at your house as your dear family were fearing it would happen? Um, so what's happened is my, uh, uh, my wife has gone on a school trip oh immediately from the National Youth Ministry weekend. So we, we've, we've done that thing where you literally just wave yes, as you pass through the door and the other person goes. So, so. You're, you're now with the four children and the dog. I'm now looking after four children and a dog Fantastic. and having a little sleep. Do you want to talk to them at every mealtime about your highlights of the National Youth Ministry Weekend? They're they like, they Dad, do not want to shut talk up! To me. Yeah. Shut up, go they away. Oh, actually, it's probably worth chatting about how you how you come down from something really big like that, isn't it? Do you yeah. crash and burn? Do I remember coming back from Soul Survivor to th- 1995. What? what? Yeah, I remember coming back. I distinctly remember coming back from Soul Survivor in 1995 and sitting on the edge. I walked around the top floor of my house. Uh, there are only two floors uh, uh, for about ten minutes, just wandering around. That's a and then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I sat down on the edge of my parents' bed and I wept. Oh. I remember that. I, it was, I must have been 17 and I just, I was like, I feel so sad and I don't know why. Because <laughs> I just missed it so much because of the sort of like, you know, you've had five days yeah. of intense community with your, with your friends and, you know, yeah. perhaps the opposite sex. Yeah. I think that year maybe by then. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and just at the end of it, maybe. you just have this awful feeling of coming down mm. and of course lots of people come into National Youth Ministry wet weekend went straight back into work Monday morning and wept and wept I, I mean it's worth recognising isn't it so many are volunteers and so they've got their weekend oh, gosh. and then hit Monday morning they don't have the luxury of uh, being able to kind of say I'm going to stay in bed this morning so it is interesting isn't it I um, what I love though about things like uh, conferences or weekends away is you get to nerd out with your favourite people yeah. like like a whole weekend talking about something that other people are not interested in yeah, no but I am really interested in evangelism and discipleship and communication with young people like lots of my friends are like really? I get to nerd out with loads of people that also love that that's this, great this is also why we invite people we want to nerd out with to come and yes, speak exactly that's why we get Kenda Creasy Dean yeah, if you're not interested friends. in who Kenda Creasy Dean is in youth ministry then you need the, to get back and read the book again oh okay I thought you were about to say then you're, you're not my people I was you, thinking that was a bit extreme you probably are my people <laughs> but um, but you know she um, in our midst once again you have the absolute living mm. legend of academics in youth ministry it's good right now it's and, good uh, and next year you know next year we've got uh, did you hear the announcement no who we've got next year because remember Mark I Yacanelli. wasn't there Mark Yacanelli Oh my goodness! Well, Will he is... bring his glitter ball? That's uh, he won't because he doesn't do the same thing <sighs> twice. But uh, but Mark Iaconelli uh, is. Um, I think you can still find that talk from YouthWork yeah, Summit. Yeah, yeah, it's 2011, yeah. Two thousand eleven. Yeah, somewhere awesome. online. Is it YouthWorkSummit.com? Yeah, you can still see one of the best bits of communication I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, but uh, but yeah, so he's coming back mm. uh, in two thousand nineteen. He's going to do a retreat day 
uh, for youth workers oh, awesome. in a local church, and then we're going to do uh, we're going to have him speaking throughout the weekend. So on... please book soon, lovely people. Please, please, please book soon so you can secure your place. I'm a bit worried about the ticket the sales. Tickets go very quickly, don't they? Yes. Now, um, just to kind of go from the sublime to the ridiculous, yeah. just to kind of incorporate our whole community, many of whom might be listening in another country or for whatever reason not able to get to National Youth Ministry Weekend. I want to know from you all how long does your suitcase with stuff in it remain on the floor in the kitchen or your bedroom until it's all emptied like wherever you go any holiday weekends away youth trip whatever it might be are you someone that the second you get home that suitcase is cleared out washed everything is put back or does it stay there festering until somebody eventually says please put your stuff away Martin, over to you first. Coming to you first, please. Let me tell you about Mrs. Saunders. Okay. Mrs. Saunders is not somebody who, who will, will who will open up my uh, my overnight bag, Good for her. Take out the clothes Good that I've worn woman. across the weekend and wash them for me. Good. She won't do that. No. If I've put them in the wash bin and she happens to do a load of washing, it's not like she'll separate out my clothes and not wash them. She's not heartless, but she won't unpack the bag for me. However, what she does is she moves the bag into prominent positions. Yeah, clever girl. Uh, She'll put it, you know, so I'll trip over it. Or if I haven't unpacked it within that first 20 minutes, she starts to throw it in the garden uh, put put it in a dog's place. Yeah, you know, excellent. Um, Sell it on eBay. Put it on eBay. Throw yeah. out the window. Uh, stuff like that. So yeah. you have since then trained the children, have you, to then empty your suitcase? Or are we are we actually hearing that you do it yourself? No, I do it myself. Superb. I am a little bit of a minger girl because actually I'm <laughs> a minger girl. I will bring the suitcases in and I'll be like, oh, post. Oh, I haven't opened this post in a few days. Yeah. Oh, neighbours. Let me go and say hi to the neighbours. Oh, I need to feed the fish. Oh, it's bedtime. Oh, I've got some clothes. Oh, it's the morning. I've got some clean underwear. That's fine. And I can actually do that for about three or four days. Yeah. Was it last year, straight after the weekend, that you came in in the same T-shirt for four days in a row? <laughs> I think it was. I can be. So I'll either be immediately, no, when I get home, I'm emptying the suitcases, and I'll do everybody's, like I'm on it. Mm. Anyone in the street who comes home, I'll do it. Or if that first 24-hour passes and I've not done it, and we're heading really? for dangerous territory. Because I, you, I'm, you're wearing today uh, very glamorous shoes. Yeah. And but you I'm are, you boots. are quite a sort of fashionista. You're quite glam. You, um, you know, you, 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 <laughs> I'm a you put a bit of makeup on. At yeah. the same time, yeah, I am underneath. It's just like underneath you're a minger. Yeah, I am. I'm a human being underneath. Let's just put it that way. I'm a human being. I'm not a robot. Could I'm you not a domestic goddess? Could you get the word <laughs> minger into the title of your next book? Yes. The Minger Deconstruction Project. Oh dear. No, but I think it's good for us to, to own our stuff, you know, to kind of say, yeah, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. So anyway, now we've cleared that one up, I feel very happy about it. Can that. I just say I've never I've never been in, in your presence and thought you smelled bad. Oh, thank so you. So that, if that's the high watermark. Cloaking. I've never thought you smell bad. <laughs> um I've I've maybe thought you smell indifferent. <laughs> but never bad. Well, I don't, I don't, in my house, have like piles of rubbish just on the floor. I'm just being honest about how I don't always immediately clear up after myself. And I have to say, there is a, the boot of my car is pretty yeah. rough actually sometimes. Yeah. Does yours get like that? What I love about you is you're quite, um, you're good at demystifying. <laughs> Any ideas? De- demystifying ladiness. 
you know? Laziness does not exist. No, but it you... It does not exist. You, um, I remember one of the first stories oh, you told me oh, when we first got to be friends. Oh, that was a very funny story. Was about yeah, how... Um, I had farted in the car. Yeah. And then, so basically, I got a job for... You I just love it. I didn't know if you were willing to tell the story, but it's such a good story. I got the job, and I arrived at Youthscape, and I just, I just did a little cheeky fart in the car, and then Chris goes, Ran out of the building and said, "Oh, can I just jump in your car, Rachel? I'll show you where you can where you can park." And I was like, "Ah!" And I think I probably did blame that on on something that had gone off in the car. Where wow. I've never actually had it out with him. Wow. He might not even notice, but he probably did. He like, doesn't listen to the podcast. It's a small, contained. Yeah, but like, oh no. So I do now go to myself. Okay, wash. Unpack your clothes. Don't fight in the car. You know, I did. I do have this little mantra in my head. And now that I've got two kids, I can totally blame everything on them. And the beautiful thing is, we recently bought Alexa, oh, yeah. that little thing. And oh, the yeah. very first thing Jason taught our kids to do is teach her to fart. So Alexa. this bit of technology, which, which I was using to play worship music in the house over our children, he has taught them to teach her to fart. So how, do you make, how do you make Alexa well, you just fart? Say, there's a certain phrase you have to say, and if you say it, then she will just randomly make the most hilarious fart noises. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. That, that, actually, that, that wasn't a fart, that was a door just, just creaking. Anyway. I have not thought about getting Alexa until now. Now, get it. Now and just hide like it in the youth the room somewhere, and then just say <clears throat> this special sentence, and she will just pop on random and spontaneously, because women do have flatulence. So, let's move on <laughs> to our interview. Oh, we have a very special guest who doesn't really know us. And if he's I feel so bad. If he's listening to I this podcast, I feel so bad about that. like, what did I let myself in for? We oh, are gosh. quite sensible, normally, and oh, this is no. a very important topic. Do you know what we've done here? This We're is a, terrible. This, is a great, this guy is a great leader. Yeah. And I imagine he's the sort of guy also that would share stuff he's done. He, oh, you know, normally, no. I'm probably, shaking my head. Probably not this time. Not this time. But he would share interviews. He would, you know, he'd yeah. tell people We're he'd We're talking done. to the youth ministry world, though. We know our people. We know we the way to their hearts. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> you've got them listening now, Nathan. You know, you may think, I can never use this to share to anyone I know. We but, understand that. But the youth ministry world have both ears open because they've, they've just had... Rachel Gardner, spectacularly demystified before their very eyes. What I love about this interview, though, is it's a little bit of a different topic to what we'd normally be talking about in youth ministry. And yeah. that's why it matters, because yeah. I still think within the Christian youth ministry world, we still operate a little bit with a sacred secular divide. We don't mean to, but we still think actually our job is... We know it's about participation, we know it's about inclusion, we know it's about education, but we kind of have this in us that we it's also about kind of faith development and it's spiritual practices and all that kind of stuff. And we keep need to keep reminding ourselves this is all one, isn't it? This is all God, this is all good. And so things around food, food poverty, injustice are so important for us yeah. as youth workers, whatever our title, whatever role we have, that we're on board with this kind of stuff because it matters tr- dramatically for many, many people. So do you want to introduce who Nathan is? Is. Yes, this is Nathan Atkinson. Uh, he is a, a, a leadership thinker and consultant. Uh, he was a head teacher um, of quite uh, of some quite large schools in the north of England, um, and uh, he has an amazing story, really, of innovation in leadership and about noticing what's really going on in young people's lives. So there's lots here from an innovation perspective, uh, and yes, it does food, uh, sort of centre in on food. Uh, and realising, um, you know, some of us maybe sometimes uh, might 
uh, not fully recognise mm. the breadth of food poverty and how, mm. how big an issue it is. Mm. Uh, and certainly, I, you know, I live in a very middle class context. Mm. So sometimes I can actually be really stupidly unaware of how real this issue is in 2018 mm. uh, in, in England. Uh, but Nathan is somebody who, who had his eyes fully opened yeah. Um, by a conversation with a young person. And so you hear about it in this, this interview. It's gold dust. Uh, please enjoy it. This is Nathan Atkinson. The Utescape Podcast. So uh, my guest today is Nathan Atkinson. Um, Nathan, welcome to the Utescape Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for the invite and thank you for the opportunity to share this story. Yeah. So you do have a bit of an amazing story. Um, and I think probably the best thing to do is just to ask you to, to, to tell us a bit about what happened. You are a, a, a head teacher. You've been head teacher in a couple of schools. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm, no, I'm no longer a head teacher, but I think that will sort of the, the story of that will come out as, as we sort of uh, progress. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm. Um, been a head teacher for around 10 years. I always wanted to work in schools that served um, vulnerable communities and have the opportunity to, to work with the children in that school, but also so passionate about community and mm. the, the power of collaboration and working together. So um, my first headship was in a, a small school. And then after a couple of years and, and success there, the opportunity came up uh, for the headship uh, of a school which was in my hometown and it was actually the school that my dad and my auntie had attended as children wow. and my grandma still lived in the catchment area and it was um, an opportunity for me to go back to my roots and I felt to, to pay back to that community. I've had an, an amazing life and done some great things and I wanted to, to sort of really pay, pay back and reinvest in, in that community which was at the time um, vulnerable in terms of um, different forms of, of poverty uh, and it was a great chance to, to go and do something positive there so I spent uh, four years back in my hometown and then the uh, commute was um, taking its toll so made a decision to, to make a move back to, to Leeds in terms of work and again sought out a school that was um, a challenge in terms of the, the community that it served and in September 2014, I took up the challenge of a, a three form entry school, so over 600 pupils on roll. Uh, there were 48 languages spoken in the school, and it served the bottom 2% uh, deprivation nationally. Uh, in addition to that, the school had a resource provision for children with autism. So there were 20 children transported in from across the city every day. So it was definitely an amazing place, but but there were lots of challenges. And we got through the first half term, made it to the half term holidays, had a week off, took a deep breath and um, recuperated and, and came back on the, the Monday morning, sort of late October. And it was one of those days when everything that could go wrong did go wrong including the gas in the kitchen failing. So that meant that we had to give our children um, sandwiches for their dinner because we, we couldn't cook anything. Now, the behaviour throughout that lunchtime of some children and into the afternoon was, was really bad. Um, it's my belief that all behaviour is a form of communication. So rather than shouting at these children and tell them how horrible they were for doing horrible things and being so angry, I sat down with some of the, the, the children that had demonstrated some really negative behaviours 
And they said, I can't imagine what it must feel like to be so angry that you've shouted and sworn and fought and done uh, thrown things. And one of the old ones, he stood up and he pointed to his stomach and he said, I'll show you. And that, that confused me considerably, but he pointed to his stomach and he said, it hurts here. And then he went on to say that we've had nothing but sandwiches and cold food for a week at home during the half-term holiday. Mm. And normally on the first day back, you give us a roast dinner, um, but you, you gave us sandwiches today and we're hungry. Now, wow. he, didn't, he didn't quite communicate it as eloquently as that, but that was the <laughs> message that he was getting across. So yeah. uh, um, I returned to my office and I wrote the word hunger on my office wall mm. um, on a, like a, a sticky whiteboard thing. I've actually still got that in a frame in, in my office where I am now mm. um, because that, that moment of hunger and realising that actually hunger was a barrier to learning. It was stopping these children from engaging in learning because how can you learn if you're not having your most basic needs met? And now when we started to investigate this more as a, a leadership team, we started to think about... Um, that all our learning was sort of front-loaded to the morning and yet we give children, a lot of children have access to free school meals or universal free school meals across key stage one, yet actually we, we're then front-loading our most important learning to the, to the beginning of the day and so said, well, we have to do something because if a child arrives at school hungry, how can we expect them to, to engage in learning? So we made a pledge to offer a universal free breakfast uh, to all children in school. So I went off and bought 20 toasters. And as I was collecting them from the supermarket, the, the person that served me said, are you going to lots of weddings? I was like, no, I'm going <laughs> to feed every uh, child in my school. So we, we put the toasters in and made this offer of breakfast. So anybody who arrived at school could, could have access to that. Now, some people would argue that the nutritional value of giving children toast is questionable. But actually, if a child hasn't had anything to eat at all, then we felt that this, this was having a positive impact. Mm. So um, around the same time, I uh, started to develop an idea that I had had back in 2012 when I'd been on a, a visit to some schools in China. And one of the schools we visited, we, we visited a number and saw some um, huge contrasts in terms of opportunity for children there. But one of the most... Um, what, wealthy areas had a, a classroom that they described as a coffee classroom and the best way that I can describe it was imagining because I've not had this chance but if we were to have afternoon tea at the Savoy yeah. um, this is what this classroom looked like it was high-end it was luxurious and when we spoke to the teachers they said it was so that when their children traveled they didn't embarrass their Chinese culture because yeah. of their lack of coffee etiquette now uh. um, um, if they're the sorts of problems that you have, well, that, that's good and everything's <laughs> relative in life. But um, it struck me back in 2012 that I wanted to create a, a, a similar classroom environment within my school, but to serve the complete opposite end of the social spectrum. Mm. So I um, built um, a cafe in my school and um, I started to design it to replicate a high street coffee shop and wanted to be able to create opportunities for children to um, be able to um, 
sort of develop their social skills and for families to be able to come in. Traditional coffee mornings in school are, are sort of bring families in, sit them at small tables and small chairs and successfully reinforce any negative bad experience that they had anyway and then they don't come back. Yeah. So I thought if we, we create something that is recognises their importance, then we're more likely to engage with them. So mm. we had this cafe built and mm. then I started to look at sort of the sustainability of it and thought, well, we can't really justify spending school funds and uh, public money on food for families and communities. Mm. So I had a meeting with a person who'd set up a project called the Real Junk Food Project, yeah. which is an organisation that saves food from waste from supermarkets, wholesalers and, and different other areas. And then they were they had a cafe at that time, and they were using this to, to create food for for people. Um, and so I said to the Real Junk Food Project, if you want to run a cafe from here, you can have it for free. And their response was, thanks, but you can do it yourself, and we'll show you. So. Mm. The school was situated in what we described as a food desert where you can't buy fresh fruit or veg within sort of 500 metres of homes. Uh, some people would argue that it was a food swamp because the food that you could buy was uh, fried chicken, takeaway, very yeah. unhealthy stuff. Yeah. So ironically, within this 500 metres of the school was a wholesaler that served Leeds uh, Market. So we got a 24-7 fresh fruit and veg distributor on this doorstep. Wow, wow. Uh, Families didn't have any access to that because of the, the nature of their, their yeah. trading. But yeah. anyway, we went there in the school minibus and we left with 27 boxes of bananas and 10 crates of cucumber. And we decided to put them on their playground at the end of the day and said to the families, if you want to take these, then off you go. Yeah. So they did and all the food went. We just left with the boxes. So that, that food was going to be wasted because it couldn't get out to the market quick enough to be in the best quality that the consumers have been sort of led to believe that, that, that they need to buy. So um, the following week, we decided to do something a little bit more strategic and we put um, a market stall at the, the front of the school gates. So it sounds more glamorous. It was just a, still a couple of tables, but I thought if I put them at the front of the school, then I know that families have to walk past me. They will, they will talk. They will, we will be able to use this food as a medium to engage with our community. And the irony of the very first market store was that the food that we managed to, to get that had been saved from waste had come from the Great Yorkshire Show. So the day before it had been accessed by royalty and, and quite elite people visiting this show, mm. uh, the next day it was on the poorest doorstep of the country. And <laughs> it just shows what a level of food is. Food yeah. is food and, yeah. and everybody needs it. So um, the food went, we operated a pay-as-you-feel model that the Real Junk Food Project used. Uh, and we were left with a small tub of money, but the satisfaction that we'd engaged with so many members of our school community. Yeah. Um, so we said, let's do it again and again. And by now the cafe was ready. So we, we made food available through the cafe as well. Mm -hmm. So approaching the summer holidays, I said that we can't stop this now. We need to, to continue. So um, made a pledge to keep the school open um, throughout the summer holidays. And we did that with the use of volunteers, staff volunteering um, to, to keep the, the opportunity to engage with the families. Um, in, in the long run of this, I, I created a 52-week job posting school so that we could stay open all year round. And, and that provided really valuable service to, to members of the community. Mm. So in the October, having started this June, July time, felt that 
I wanted to tell more people about it, so I decided to do an awareness day. Um, and I emailed all the schools in Leeds and said, if you would like us to provide food for your children for breakfast, using nothing but food that would have otherwise gone to waste, tell us how many children and, and we'll do that. Wow. So on the 8th of December, working with the Real Junk Food Project again in Leeds, uh, we provided 10,000 children with breakfast across Leeds. Ten sorry, 10,000 children? Yeah, so yeah, 10,000 children um, had access to, to food that would have otherwise been thrown away. And for me, more importantly, or as importantly, um, they received access to a, an assembly that I'd written for all the schools right. because my core purpose through my role and throughout my for the last 20 years of my career has been to educate. I, I'm an educator and actually mm -hmm. education is as important as the food because we need to empower people. So there are lots of really positive things that go on around sort of bridging the gap. But without education, bridging the gap is just a short-term measure that people could become reliant on and dependent on. Yeah. So, so my goal is to empower people not to need this service and, and to be able to um, make better informed choices and have the guidance and sort of structure in their life, whether it's to manage their money, to be able to buy the food, yeah. whether it's to, yeah. be, to know where to buy it from, yeah. whether it's what to do with it. So yeah. I've written an assembly um, that explains some of these things and the schools that took part in the awareness day came back and said, can we do this every week? So my answer was yes. And I didn't really know how, but um, we, we found a way and, Within two months of the, this awareness day, 17 schools had signed up to pay a service level agreement to receive a weekly delivery of food as mm. well as an education program. So mm. um, this started off really well. And then into the, around May, uh, I met with a guy who was a teacher, but also a volunteer with the Real Junk Food Project. And mm -hmm. um, so he, he met with me on the Thursday and on the Friday, he rang me back and said, I've resigned from my job and I'm going to do this full time with you. Wow. So I, I was still a head teacher. He believed so passionately in the in the story and what we were doing that, that he walked away from his job to become the Fuel for School coordinator. I mean, did he so, check with you, just as you tell that story, did he check with you first or did he just quit the job and hope that would be okay? No, he, he knew that there was a, we were wanting somebody to be able to do this on a, 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 it wasn't a job interview, but he was definitely the right person yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, schools were paying us to deliver the food. So we knew that we had a financial structure to be able to employ somebody, yeah. but yeah, he, he made that commitment and wow. did some amazing things. So from that 17 schools within six months, he, he then started to work with 52 schools Wow. And between September 2014 and September, no, sorry, September 16 and September 17, uh, we, he worked and the project worked with 62 schools um, and was responsible for diverting 300 tons of food into schools. Oh my goodness. Uh, that provided about 15,000 children a week with access to food and more importantly to, to this education resource. Now, We've been on a journey with the education resource, which is, for me, really exciting. Um, I attended an event that I was asked to prepare a, um, a lesson on the Sustainable Development Goals. Yes. Now, I'd, I'd never heard of the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, but when I looked at the Fuel for School program, I thought, wow, 
we, we're actually meeting lots of these goals and we didn't even know about them. So Is this like a United it, Nations thing? Yes, yeah. There's 17 goals that have been set to save the planet by 2030. Yes. And all member nations of the UN have signed up to this pledge. So we've got no poverty, zero hunger, life below water, climate action, and, and the list goes on. And what I just, these goals resonated with me. And it just, they just, they, they just stood out as being so important. And one day working with um, a guy from the United Nations Association in Harrogate, he, he said, why don't we put food in the center of this and the rest is history. So what we did was we put food at the center of 17 goals and we created a resource whereby you can teach sustainable development and the development goals through food. And so our education program does exactly that. Mm. So, um, the, the project has evolved and is now um, the Fuel for School program runs through a social enterprise that we have created called Sustainable Education. Um, and Sustainable Education and Fuel for School um, continues to, to provide opportunities to schools, not just in Leeds and Bradford now where we started, but across the country. So from September, Fuel for School will launch um, across London with the support of the, the Mayor's Fund and um, a surplus food provider. Across the, west, uh, across the south coast into West Sussex area, um, um, UK Harvest have become um, a provider of fuel for school. And then working um, still with some real junk food projects across Wigan and Durham. Um, and then we have a partnership with um, Lincoln City Football Foundation, where they will be delivering fuel for school um, across Lincoln. So we've managed to find a model that's scalable and a way of being able to further improve outcomes for, for children, young people and their communities. So the, the mission statement of sustainable education is nourishment for life, growth and good health. And that's for people, partnerships and the planet. And the, the goals are providing us with it with a great way to be able to achieve that. Mm. So um, in addition to the Fuel for School program, we've recently introduced um, what we call sustainable growth. And this is a super exciting um, mission and, and a project that we've got going on. So the challenge was, what if we managed to stop food waste? Because I said earlier that we want to empower people not to, to need this. But one of the goals is that we reduce food waste and the environmental yeah. impact that this is having. So yeah. we wanted to be able to still work with families. So we worked with a project from the, the Bronx called the Green Bronx Machine. Oh, and amazing. Yeah. They, they know, have, there's a TED Talk, isn't there? There's a TED Talk about that. Yeah, so Stephen Ritz, who is an amazing guy, a teacher, an educator, um, he was at the event where I had to um, deliver a lesson on the sustainable development goals. So had the chance to meet Stephen twice, mm. and he was amazed with what we were doing. And similarly, we were blown away by what he was doing. So we've introduced what's called aquaponic, no, not aqua, sorry, aeroponic growing into classrooms. Uh -huh. So aeroponic growing uses the same technology that NASA uses. Uh, if anyone's seen the film The Martian, I think yeah, I, I yeah. personally have it, but people refer to that. So we go from a seed to edible salad in between six to eight weeks in classrooms. There's yeah. no soil used to grow the produce. And imagine being in a classroom 
with 37 year olds and asking the question who wants more lettuce and every single child putting their hand up saying me 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 <laughs> and looking again at the statistics this is designed for that nourishment for for life growth and good health we've got 95 percent of children that are not eating uh enough for fruit or vegetables and we're spending more on obesity treatment uh, yeah. illness than we do on the police fire service and the judicial system combined so wow. we've got a huge challenge wow. in terms of yes we have hunger but very closely aligned with hunger is obesity because mm. of food education and again if you, you think back to what i said earlier about my role as an educator yeah. um we we want to be able to teach people about the wonder of this so the, the tower gardens are so exciting. They're, they're just like a, a mini spaceship that lands in a classroom and uh, children engage in this program where they start off as a scientist with the germination process. Yeah. They become farmers, then they become chefs, and finally they become consumers. Yeah. And amazing, because of the clean way that, that this produce is grown with no soil, you, when you're eating a pea, the best place to start on a pea is the roots. And guess what? Yeah. They taste like a pea. Yeah. And we, so we've yeah. got children taking risks, being brave. And the, the research shows that children who grow their own veg are five times more likely to eat it and when you do something in a class environment where you've got that safety net then you're more likely to try things that you've not tried before and so we've got children eating fresh produce so sustainable education is able to deliver the fuel for school sustainable mm. um uh, growth program and more recently signing um, a partnership formal agreement with Leeds Beckett University mm. to be able to create a, a national hub uh, of sustainable education so wow. we can provide further CPD opportunities for teachers and school-based staff, governors, uh, to really be able to raise the awareness of the goals, but more importantly, improve people's um, skills to be able to eat well. And, and actually, the, one of the goals is around... Um, economic well-being and mm. people who are well fed and nourished are more likely to be able to engage in the world of work and achieve better outcomes yeah, yeah. be able to have a better quality of life not need to, to prescriptions for non-communable diseases and so food is so important yet so many people have a negative relationship with food yeah, and there's, there's a heavy reliance on sort of a, a junk food convenience and and yet actually the, yeah. those sort of I read uh, recently that the food delivery service in America is worth $48 billion. Wow. Uh, that's just set to grow and grow because wow. of this demand. But actually, is it because there's a, a gap in people's skill set to yeah. know yeah. what to do with food? Yeah. So we're developing what we call a helping hands program, which is simp simple videos where here's a carrot, this is what you can do with it, yeah. but, but, no, but not fancy, no spices, no, no techniques, just really basic entry level because yeah. Yeah. where people are living in food, food insecure areas or if they are food insecure, then there's a likelihood that people will struggle um, with fuel poverty, food fuel insecurity. So how can you, you prepare a meal if you haven't got any electricity? So we're trying to not live in a bubble where we're, we make assumptions. I had a, a great meeting um, with a GP and a head teacher last night over in Morecambe Bay and the importance of not doing two communities but doing with and empowering people. So not assuming we know what people want 
um, but having being having the sort of the nimbleness and the uh, flexibility to 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 know that this is a core offer, but actually not every project is going to be the same as what's in Leeds or Bradford mm. or London. And actually, it's important to meet the needs of people and to understand people and to build relationships, build trust. But in doing that, the importance of placing food at the centre of that is really, really um, empowering and, and, and is helping us achieve some amazing outcomes. I mean, mate, so, mate some, some of this stuff is, is, is just mind-blowing. I, I know there's a, there's a slight sort of twist in the story coming, um, but, but there's so many things you've said so far. I, I don't think I've ever done an interview with someone where you've, there's, there's so many massive bombs that you've sort of dropped in here. You know, good bombs, some of them. Um, but in terms of just the scale of this, um, first of all, the issues that we're facing, you know, you just at one point, you just said you managed to divert 300 tonnes of food, you know, that was just, and that's just around your school community you were talking about, you know, that, that 300, I mean, it's just extraordinary. You're talking about the, the scale of needing to feed thousands of, of children are in, in food poverty. Um, you know, this just feels absolutely massive probably the biggest thing you've said is that you might be able to get my seven-year-old to eat lettuce that's the um, <laughs> that's the one that's bowled me over the most I don't know if I, I believe that but um but but this is um the, the scale of this is is huge isn't it and your ambition for it seems to be absolutely enormous yeah then that's just 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 built in with who we are and what we want to do um Empowering children, providing authentic learning opportunities to be able to make them in a position where they can make informed life choices and, and improve the best outcomes possible. Yeah. Um, but you're talking about every kid, aren't you? I mean, that's the thing. When I want to hear you talking, yeah. you're talking about every kid. You're not. You're not thinking about you know a school community of six hundred or fifteen hundred. Your your ambition for this seems to be all kids. Yeah. Uh, we're always very inclusive in our approach and I guess that using the sustainable development goals as a a reference point to what we do so goal one is no poverty Mm. well there might be a school and a group of children that are in an affluent area where poverty isn't an issue Um, but actually climate action is an issue so let's look at food and let's look at the um, amount of greenhouse gases that are generated by the demand for beef and yeah. chicken and lamb and and actually this is having a huge impact on everybody's well-being the deforestation that's occurring on life on land because of having to clear these mass areas mm. so i read something the other day again lots and lots of research but if the population continues used to grow at the rate it is by 2050 we'll have to increase food production by 70 percent but actually the quality of soil that and the way that we're using soil at the moment won't allow us to be able to produce the amount of food that we need so innovation is really important and and technology is really important to us so we have to look at future proofing our children's lives yeah um because um Looking ahead to, to the to the dates that have been set by this, the UN have originally set this goal for um, 2030, but then a, a lot of the statistics are looking ahead at 2050. Mm. So a, a child who um, 
is in reception. Got so a child of five in 2018. In 2030, they'll be 17, and by 2050, they'll only be 37. And if we're looking at the, the people's life expectancy because of technology getting longer and longer, it's so important. So even an adult of 50 in 2050 is going to be 82. So th th these are not huge. They sound a long time away, and yeah. that it's going to be a long time. But actually, it, it's it's rapidly approaching. Yeah. And this is a it's an opportunity that we've got. We've got an opportunity to work with young people to, to truly make a difference to, to their futures and, and to our own futures. Mm. Um, and yeah, food and something that everybody needs is a great way to be able to drive that. So um, yeah, we, we want to go back to the mission statement, nourishment for life, growth and good health. And that yeah. goes back again to our ethos of people, partnerships and, and planet. We can't do anything. We can make a change individually, but collectively we can do an awful lot more. And yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the networks and the world is a very small place because of technology and travel and transport. And so we have an amazing opportunity and through sustainable education, we want to be able to do that whether it's through fuel for school whether it's through sustainable growth whether it's through our sustainable educators program yeah. um, or sustainable health this is a way of, of really making a difference to, to the outcomes of, of young people amazing amazing and and Nathan you I mean you have told the most extraordinary story of um, uh, of vision and entrepreneurship and seeing a uh, a, a profound need that somehow somehow everyone seems to have missed, even though it appears to be an absolutely primal uh, issue. Uh, and it's an incredible story. And yet there's also a kind of a, um, it, there's a bit of a sad twist in the story, isn't there? So you were at the, um, uh, at the school and you were doing all this amazing stuff. Um, but actually, as you said, you're no longer a head teacher. Would you, would you mind talking about how you, you know, came not to be a head teacher? Uh, for a number of years, I've known that I can make a difference in one school, um, but actually I have the ability and desire and drive to make an improvement to lots of children's lives. So there, there are things that go on in schools and politics within schools, um, inspection service and what the government actually perceive as important didn't actually align with what was important to me. Mm. My, my This desire to make children ready to learn rather than forcing a, a learned approach on them where they are achieving things in, in potentially rote ways. You look at the um, mental health issues of, of children and young people now um, only increasing and I know um, somebody who I um, met recently alluded to a report that had been published by Birmingham University about the impact of education on mental health at the moment. And I just want to fight the corner of those children. So mm. being in one school um, didn't give me that opportunity. Mm. So um, stepping out of, of my role as a head teacher to be able to have the opportunity to, to work with people right the way across um, the country and, and further afield um, through different partnerships. Mm. And, and, and I guess you alluded to, to, to me, and this is me delivering this story, but this is me being part of networks of amazing people. So there are some people doing incredibly powerful stuff and it's important that collaboration will only make this 
collaboration is the key to this. So mm. we can do so much. We can share the stories. People individually can really make a difference. But when you come together and the, the power of collaboration and the power of working together mm. is the most important thing, in my opinion, to, to making this a success. Mm. And, and um, you know, you, you are playing yourself down a little bit. I think probably... Uh, you know, a lot of people who listen to this uh, podcast are leaders uh, in some form of leadership position. And uh, and just listening to you, you, you appear to have huge amounts of capacity and you appear to have got an awful lot done. Um, you know, is that is that down to collaboration around not really? I mean, you don't seem to be that interested in making a name for your yourself individually. Is that part of it? Do you have I, I, some sort of special secret potion you drink every day? <laughs> Do you only sleep that, two hours a that's night? Part, that's part of my life journey, I guess. I've been on a journey where at times I have been the the figure, the person. Um, it doesn't sit comfortably with me. Um, put me. In, I can. I have a, a a a gift maybe, or the ability to tell the story to hopefully motivate people to then make a difference themselves. Um, mm. Being a teacher, you're there to bring out the best in people. And I guess that that just sort of translates into to life in that, um, yeah, let's try try to get the best out of people. Some people will have businesses and not, and not think that it's important and, and not think and, and, and have that maybe a different point of view to that. And, and that's absolutely that's fine, that's great, engaging in conversation because there may be a learning opportunity for us in, in different people's perspectives and different people's points of view. So being open-minded, being willing to learn, learning in different ways at, at different times. So there's no, I think, in, in my opinion, again, what does a traditional model of learning look like these days? Mm. I think you have to have a mindset to be, ready to engage in learning and to learn from other people and to learn is a, I guess it's a, a two-way process that you learn some things that you don't want to be like that or you don't want to work like that and trying to get positive experiences out of all different situations that is resilience is something that, that has had to be sort of worked on and um, depersonalizing from situations but Trying to be the best version of yourself every day is really important, but trying to let other people see that and to to inspire them to do good things. So my, I'm sat in my office at home now, and my bookshelf is a complete random mix of sort of facts, uh, fiction, but, but factual books from a complete cross-representation. I can pick up a book and find something that, that resonates and, mm. and a learning process in, in a variety of different books. And that's even um, into the different TVs, the shows that I'll watch. You can, it's what you're willing to find in something to mm. then, then be able to use that to make a positive difference in what you do. So mm. everybody has that capacity. It's just like getting around the nurturing of it and the taking the time and having the opportunity, which in the busy world that we live in, having time is something that is really difficult yeah. and making time is really difficult, whether that's time for yourself or, or time for, for other people. 
Um, but actually the wonderful things that can happen when you, you do that. And I've got lots of faults myself and, uh, <laughs> and no way to finish the article. But if you can, I, in sort of, in terms of coaching teachers, working with teachers, sort of talk about the people that look through a piece of glass or the people that look into a mirror. Mm. And I'm definitely the, the, the mirror person because mm. taking responsibility for, for my actions and, and being responsible for the things I do uh, positively, but also times negatively is something that's really important. Okay, I've gone on a little bit. Though. No, mate, I mean, I could talk to you all day, but I realise, you know, time is precious and I've taken a lot of it. It's just a, uh, one more thing I would love to ask you just before um, you maybe tell us how we can connect with some of this stuff. And those who are listening would probably love to just find out a bit more. Um but, but my last question really just applies specifically to, to most of our listeners will be engaged with churches, um, which are, you know, in communities, um, have access to a, a, a sometimes a large pool of volunteers. There's a lot of things that churches have, don't, you know, strengths they don't realise they have in terms of, you know, currency in a community. So I guess with all your learning around food, and particularly this issue around food, um, you know, what, what do you think... Uh, communities like faith communities could could do to just as a as a, a first step of getting engaged with it with all of this stuff so i it's my belief and it's written down in our sort of um action plan and our business development is that going back to that nourishment for life growth and good health people partnerships planet well the people are, are at the center of um faith groups and partnerships and that the, the thing that bring them together is their faith so that is a community and within our uh, sustainable educators program we believe that working with um, communities in that sense so whether it be a workshop around sustainable development goals a workshop about these different themes in my vision would be that tower gardens will be able to be a fixture within uh, whether it's a church or wherever people meet to 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 work together, that putting food at the centre of that and um, using that food as a teaching tool. So whatever you can, whatever's achievable in a school is achievable within a faith group. Equally, is achievable within a business, within a sports team. So at the end of the day, people are people. And if you can engage with that community where the, those people come together, I, I think that the, the, the possibilities are endless. And yeah. what we've achieved in schools is can be translated into all those different groups of people and communities that I just alluded to. Yeah. So, um, so I guess the final thing then, Nathan, is, uh, is how can people find out more um, and how can people connect with you and with some of the projects and initiatives that you've talked about? So we're just in the process of re, uh, or actually creating our first website for sustainable education. And you can find us on Twitter under sustainable education. Um, equally, there is a website that's currently running fuelforschool.info, and that's in partnership with the Real Junk Food Project. Um, I personally don't have social media. Um, but uh, LinkedIn, I'm on uh, Nathan Atkinson. You can find me on, on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, um, they're the, the best ways to, to sort of find out a little bit more. But if you if you Google Fuel for School, um, you'll be able to find out all the different things that we've done. 
Thank you so much, Nathan. It's a, a really inspiring interview. And I, I realise I, I said to you at the start of this would be 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but thank you for your your grace and kindness in giving us a bit longer. Um, it's been really great. That's all right. Thank you. The Youthscape Podcast? Great interview, Martin. Interesting thing in there about behaviour yeah. and food. Yes, that's right. So, uh, well... Right at the start there, Nathan's talking about how young people are behaving uh, appallingly in that school. And then, um, and then the, the reason is a young person says, you know, painfully, uh, it, and points to his stomach and says it hurts here mm. because he's not had uh, anything to He hasn't had a hot meal for all of half term. And I just wonder whether um, sometimes with behaviour, we do need to take a step back and, and ask what else is going on. I mean, I, I find this, the, the, hardest, the hardest application of this is in parenting, isn't it? Mm, like, I don't know yes, if you find yeah, this, yeah, yeah. but when you see a child acting out, it, it's, ch- your own children know how to push your buttons mm-hmm. like, like no one else. And you've got less grace for your own kids, unfortunately, with their behavior. Um, but sometimes there's a lot more going on. Yes. Something terrible that's happened at school, or they're hungry, or they're overhyped. And I just wonder with, with behavior, whether we, whether we sometimes sort of, you know, jump to you've decided to behave badly yes. because because yes. you're sinful yes. or, or being naughty at least. Yes, and I wonder, and not to make this a gender thing at all because this is not about gender, but I wonder if sometimes boys particularly suffer in this in this area as well yeah. that we kind of we perceive high energetic or difficult behavior as, as bad behavior rather than asking yeah. questions about it i think one of the best things i ever learned at my, my training as a youth worker years and years ago was behavior is communication and, and the mm. person who was doing that training just kept repeating that behavior is communication mm. so if someone is behaving in a way that is making you pay attention to them what are they telling you yeah. Like yeah. what is being communicated i think as a parent as a youth worker massively i remember my own my own story of food actually as as a um we were quite young and my family we were sort of sofa surfing this is before we lived with lovely old ernie but when we were very small um we were squatting in someone's house and then lived somewhere else and very rarely had hot food and looking back now my and chatting with my mum she'd often have to go and borrow food or get food from other people and just I think not having regular meals not having hot meals and then meal times being stressful because the parents don't eat because there's only enough food for the kids so I think for children who don't regularly have food it does hurt in their tummy but also there's something social that's not mm. happening for them because whereas meal times could be and can be and it's great if they are social times if we relax we sit down together if food is something that's not readily available, then the very thing that could unite and chill mm. everybody out becomes this real source of tension. And so I think it, as youth workers, I, I then began to say, well, let's put on meals. And, and Jason and I would have every week, teenagers would come and eat meals at our house. And we would, and, and they would behave appallingly at the meal table. Mm-hmm. And we would think, wait a minute, we're feeding you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then we realized that, that actually a meal around a table is so alien or it's so stressful mm-hmm. that they can't just come, suddenly come and connect in. into it. So we had to find other ways. And so they would come early and, and they would choose what we ate and mm-hmm. they would choose things that I think were very healthy, but we would cook that and I'd add a bit of bit of vegetables on the side. And slowly as a group, we began to begin to eat the kind of food mm, that actually mm. really does nourish their bodies. But it took a while. It didn't just suddenly happen overnight. So I think we need to be careful as youth workers, particularly if we come from a, we've got a lot background, that we don't suddenly go, well, we'll just give them a big roast dinner. Everyone sit down and have a three course yeah, meal. Because that, that can spark really destructive behaviour. Then really we then... 
that's very punish, helpful. which is terrible, isn't it? It's worth saying we uh, we run a, a nightly drop in here at Youthscape mm. uh, several nights a week, and, uh, and and probably the most popular and profound. Uh, evening is uh, Wednesday nights where we gather young people for dinner mm. and uh, and they actually sit around a table together and actually the whole ground uh, lower ground floor of mm. Youthscape where we are recording today yes yeah uh, we're actually recording in the drop-in um, you know there's a big kitchen in here and there's also a big dining table there's there's actually now four dining tables in one of the rooms as well because we've realized that That's gathering so young people to eat together yeah. is really profound in terms of giving them, yes. you know, um, but for young people who haven't actually got an environment at home where they can sit and have a meal around the table, yeah. you know, either they don't get a lot of food or you eat your food yeah. on, on your lap, yeah. as it were, in, in front room. of the TV yeah. or, or in your room. Mm. You know, we're giving young people back a sense of what it, what it means to, yeah. to have community around the, the food table. Yeah. And, and that is, uh, you know, I think you're right, everything you say, you know, you have to be wary that some young people don't know how they're to, to, to conduct yeah. themselves. But it also is really popular yes. um, with yeah. all sorts of young people. And it, and it also is a great divide across uh, the age ranges and, and also kind of, you know, sometimes uh, social kind of order mm. doesn't get in the way as, as you think it might. And you have young people from, from one kind of home and another yeah. kind of home sitting side by side Everyone's and eating together. Eat. Food does, yeah, does bring us together. It's brilliant. I remember with this particular group, um, even though every week we were having meals together, many of them would still rock up holding their sandwich chicken and chips. And I used to get really yeah. frustrated about that until I realised that... I need to, to prove over the next few weeks that if you come to my house, I will feed you. Right. You haven't got to feed yourself. Okay. And it was interesting, like almost doing a little bit of regression with them. Yeah. So then I decided. Whose phone is that? This come is on, mine. that's twice. I'm so Why sorry. Why have you got your phone on? <laughs> you're literally you're recording a podcast. And, and then producer Rachel texted me to say just recording, and, and I'm like, oh no, this is off. Oh great. But we're not going to edit this anyway. No, now. we're not. I've just been told off. I've just been schooled basically by producer Rachel. But it's an interesting point, isn't it? That actually, I think one of the things that we can use food as as youth workers is a way of proving you can trust us. If every week we will bring food. Mm. Remember, some young people don't want to eat in our presence, don't want to eat in front mm. of other people. So let's not make everything we do about food. No. But if we choose to, let's make it very clear that they can trust us that there'll be a hot meal every week. Do you know, I'll tell you something fun we've done at our youth work, um, which has uh, sprung out of complete accident and has ended up being brilliant, is we have uh, one group uh, for our year seven and eights between sort of five and 6.30. Yeah. And then we have an hour's break before our youth group for our years nine to 13, yeah. from half seven to nine o'clock. And a couple of the leaders and a couple of the kids had reasons why they actually need to eat a meal in the middle. And we now have this oh, meal of amazing. about 30 people who are a mix of kids from the early group, kids from the, uh, the older group, um, parents Brilliant. who have come in just as well, don't oh, know why they're there, nice. and some leaders all having a oh, meal together. Love it. And I just, it's amazing how food is this great level. Yeah. Um, Good so, food. Uh, so it's costing us a fortune, but. Um, Good, it's worth it. But it's Absolute nice. Worth so it. I get fed on a Wednesday night as well. Now, so all good. this talk about food. I am really hungry. And my little confession as well is I have a dear friend who's a vegan. Oh, and whenever no. she talks to me about vegan food, all I can think about is how I want to get my, my, my chops around my big kind of like massive steak. <laughs> Do you ever do that? Well, like I have really inappropriate food things going on. Yeah, it's terrible. If someone's talking about food, all I can think about is I'm so hungry. It's terrible. But sorry, so if a vegan tells well, somebody, you that she's... Well, if they're like, oh, I, I, I love nuts and I love vegan food, but if someone's like really waxing on about it, all I can think of is, I really want a steak. 
steak. Like, I really want a steak right now. Wow. So I obviously have some really obtuse food thing going on. Yeah. It's you terrible. may have offended some listeners. I think I probably have. What do you have, need to say to them? I need to say I'm very, very sorry, and I promise I won't fart in the car before you jump in my car. So that's fine. There we go. Well, hello <laughs> to Joel Preston. Uh, if you ever want to go in Rachel's car, yeah, find don't. alternative uh, <laughs> transportation. That's been it for another Youthscape podcast. Yes, brilliant. Go well, our friends. The Youthscape podcast is free and always will be. But if you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash youthscape. Okay, so Rach, yep. we're back in the room now. Yep. It's hard to know when I... When I do the outro from the interview, it's hard to know it's me, isn't it?